supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Oh, that's a little freaky when we when we're late with it like that. That was a little bit weird how that sounded. I like that. What do you think? Maybe we'll do that going forward. I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't turn your mic on yet. I I was in a panic. <laughs> I thought go. it came out pretty cool. Yeah, it was a little different. Just more of the song for us to play and possibly incur. Fines and lawsuits. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here with you, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, broadcasting here on WBSM, as well as on SpookySouthCoast.com and on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, which we're, I think we've got up and running. I don't know. We're working on some things. We're trying to make the experience better for you, the listener, the viewer, however you partake in Spooky South Coast. And we're kind of hamstrung because we, we're not that good. We don't know what we're doing. See that internet idea that I had? That failed miserably. I can see <laughs> pulling out the ethernet cable now. So there you go. Everything that we try to do to make it better, <laughs> we just fail. But it's not for lack of effort. We are trying. We hope that you appreciate that. And uh, it, like I said, we do talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Tonight, we're going to take it in a little bit of a different direction, something that we've talked about behind the scenes and maybe hinted at here in the program over the last few years but it's something that we've had discussions about off-air, and that's whether or not the paranormal has become religion to some folks. And Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal will be joining us a little bit later on. Ken is someone who uh, has been thinking about this and putting some thoughts together, and he's got uh, some pretty uh, pretty intriguing arguments for the case that some people are just uh, a little bit too wrapped up in the idea of the paranormal field. And we would love to get your thoughts on this topic throughout the course of the program, 508-996-0500, But we do have some things that we need to discuss before we go forward with the program because there's questions that have been asked of us throughout the course of the week, uh, whether it be via Twitter at SpookySC, uh, via email, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com or on Facebook, emails. We've been getting all kinds of questions about two things. One, Lizzie Borden. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to see the movie. Still haven't had a chance yet. Don't You don't really have to. I wrote a blog about it on WBSM.com. So if you go to the website there and check out the Spooky South Coast page, you'll find my blog. And I, I kind of gave it a little bit of a quick rundown of what my thoughts were on it. Basically, here's the thing. I talked about this a little bit this morning, too, on, on the Saturday morning program. But here's the problem with this movie. People went into this expecting it to be like a History Channel historical reenactment drama of Lizzie Borden, her life, the case, what have you. It's not that. It's a Lifetime original movie. 
It was made by the same network that greenlighted such films as Mother May I Sleep with Danger, <laughs> the network that is single-handedly keeping Valerie Bertinelli on the Jenny Craig program. <laughs> The same, the same network that makes us think that Nancy McKeon from The Facts of Life is still a viable actress. You shut your mouth. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> but here's... For all the complaints that I've heard, that they used modern music, that they had... Uh, the, the eagle eye Dave Francis pointing out that there were phone booths uh, in the background of some of the shots. Uh, <laughs> some of the, uh, you know, the, the liberties they took with the story. People are all up in arms about that. They're trying to tell a lifetime original movie story. That's what it's all about. And if they need to bastardize Lizzie Borden and, and the truth behind it, they will do that. They get to do that because they use the phrase based on a true story. Now, when the HBO miniseries comes out, if it's, I know that it's still in the works, but when that comes out, I would, I would hold that to a higher regard. I would expect that to take the historical facts into account a little bit more than I would this one. If you look at this movie that aired last week as a Lifetime film, and I've had to sit through some Lifetime films in my time, if you look at it under that context, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's a movie that, as dudes, we could sit there and have to watch if we were so forced to. You know, it's something that we could kind of stand and, and not have uh, too much of an issue with it. But uh, they did go for the salacious. You know, they had Lizzie committing the murders. And I don't mean to ruin it for anybody, but the movie, you know, perpetuates the notion that she was the murderer. And they have her commit the murders in the nude. They have her gaze a little bit too longingly and seductively into Andrew's eyes when trying to get her way. So they're hinting at that little bit of inappropriateness there. Uh, there's a scene that kind of comes out of nowhere that really doesn't go anywhere in terms of explanation, where there's a stranger that Lizzie is seen being thrown up against the house in passionate embrace with uh, while the murders are occurring. There's all these little weird twists and turns that are because it's a Lifetime movie. So I'm going to have to watch it now. You are? Because it's a Lifetime movie? Yeah. What's your favorite all-time Lifetime movie? I know you're a big Mother May I Sleep with Danger fan. <laughs> I am anything by Aaron Spelling. But I didn't know if you'd actually seen the film or if it was just that you liked I the I, title. I think I, the title is amazing. But um, I think I did watch it. I think I did watch it with you, Mom. <laughs> That's right. My mom, my mom is a huge Lifetime movie fan. I'm sure she watched the Lizzie Boyd movie. The other topic that I want to cover is, and Moniz, I know that um, they were trying to reach out to you here at the station yesterday, but you know things things happen in life. People are busy. The idea of this unmelting snow—it's uh, all over social media. Yep. And basically, the, what the rundown is is yeah, people are, are claiming that the snow that we've been inundated with the last few weeks is fake. Because when you set it on fire, it doesn't melt. I saw that online. It just burns. There's everybody's to be making videos of it, and they're posting them on YouTube and on on Twitter and on Instagram, and they're basically saying that you know this is proof that the weather is being altered, you know the government is trying to whatever by making this artificial snow, and we are going to have to deal with this all winter long when it's unnatural. Moniz, you're a chemist. What's up with that? Okay, the the way snow is made in natural processes is the same way that basically rain is made. And the only difference is the temperature at which it forms. What happens is there are particles in the upper atmosphere 
water condenses upon it, and then it will fall to the earth as either rain or snow, depending upon the upper atmosphere temperatures. Now, there's been a lot of particles put up into the atmosphere lately, mainly from a whole bunch of volcanoes going off. Now, that produces a lot of carbon and other atoms that uh, can be bound up, making the snow. And when you try and melt them, the carbon is the base of the 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 snow's melting point and that's why you're starting to see it turn black and it going into what's known as a sublimation going from a solid state into a gaseous state without mm. melting so we we really shouldn't read too much into this this is probably something mm. that happens quite frequently uh it happens enough yeah and if there was some sort of weather manipulation uh, what what would be some of the signs of of that well, how how would we know if the weather was being tampered with well, we know that they try to, you know, well, they try we, to control do, the weather to some degree. We do, you know, you can do uh, snow seeding like you can do rain, you know, rain cloud seeding. Sure, it's it's basically the same principles, and we do do our own weather modifications. Now there are also other weather weather modification programs that uh, the government has been tried to use for a number of years. I'll give you one example: HARP, and uh, that's used to control, you know, upper atmospheric conditions, and if you can control that, you can control certain types of weather. The hard part with that is, though, is you can't do it for any real sustained length, and the outcome is not exactly controllable to a certain point. You can you can do small amounts of it and things like that in local areas, but you can't do, you know... So you can't, like, point it in a direction and well, can't put a storm cloud over somebody's house. It's not necessarily pinpoint mm-hmm. or, or over a very large range. That would take a lot of energy, which we do have the capability of doing, but, I mean, on a sustained level, it would take large arrays and of these type of... Uh, devices that they use but it, it it is possible but not on the scales that you know conspiracy theorists are talking about all right so there you have it you know i'm sure people will keep posting their videos and and yeah. what have you and I, I love how everybody's an armchair chemist by the way because they, they have a video camera on their phone so well i haven't really seen any analysis done on this quote-unquote fake snow so Nothing reliable. I mean, you're well, dealing with the internet here. I would try to bring you some, but it would probably melt by the time I got there. True, but the constituents of it would still be in the vial. <laughs> I'll just carry it in my hands. That'd be pretty weird. And speaking of weird, it's time to get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today. What's so wonderful? Weird stuff. The Week in Weird. And as always, the Week in Weird stories come from the Spooky South Coast Twitter feed and from SpookySouthCoast.com. You can follow us at SpookySC or check out the website every day, SpookySouthCoast.com, for strange and interesting stories. And Matt Goss, you've been putting up strange and interesting pictures as well, I've noticed. On our uh, Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. Getting a lot of uh, response to those. Kind of uh, lighten it up a little bit. Well, nothing wrong with Something that. Slightly, slightly amusing. We can't take ourselves too seriously, especially when it comes to this segment. 
This story came from the Week in Weird. <laughs> this this was pretty interesting. I like I like this story. We'll tread lightly around it. Oh, uh, I, I I think I know what you're talking about. The the ex-wife of Pulitzer Prize-winning author Cormac McCarthy was arrested Saturday after allegedly whipping a gun out of her vagina and threatening her boyfriend. Of course, she's denying these allegations against her. Jennifer McCarthy, 48. Jenny McCarthy, yeah. 48. Got into an argument with her 53-year-old lover about space aliens, according to a probable cause affidavit. Posted on the smoking gun, McCarthy left her Santa Fe residence, then came back and changed into lingerie. Smoking gun. Well, it probably was by the time she was in. She came back in lingerie, so it's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry about this argument. The outfit was accessorized by a silver handgun placed in her vagina, with which she began to have intercourse, spelling is correct, according to the affidavit. While cleaning the chamber, McCarthy reportedly posed the question, Who's crazy? You or me? Before pulling the gun and pointing it at her boyfriend's head, the Albuquerque Journal reported. The boyfriend told deputies he wrested the weapon away from her and put it first in the toilet, then the trash can. So, I don't, I don't know. I've lived a pretty sheltered life. Moniz, I know that you've had some, some crazy females. Oh, I lifetime. married a couple, yeah. Have any of them ever pulled a gun out of their vagina? Uh, No. And if, well, because if they did, you would have married them right away, right? Well, no, I keep my guns locked up. Yeah, but I'm talking about, it's their own gun. Yeah. You, your, yours may be locked up, but theirs are yeah, accessible. I, I, I consider that more a holster. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would think so. And from the looks of this woman, it was a, a leather holster. Ooh. Hey, okay, yeah. My question is, what caliber was the gun? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think it was a 12-gauge shotgun. <laughs> she was a very happy woman. Oh, wow. Uh, here's another story that comes from the Week and Weird on Twitter and on, fa- on uh, SpookySouthCoast.com. For many, Bigfoot hunter Rick Dyer, and really, we should really stop talking about this guy. But Rick Dyer is one part Andy Kaufman and one part P.T. Barnum carting around a Sasquatch carcass for display. Uh, this week, him and his management team announced that they would be taking the Bigfoot specimen he allegedly shot and killed in the San Antonio area on tour across the country. But here's the problem. The folks of the people for the ethical treatment of animals don't think Bigfoot is real, but do feel strongly about those that would shoot something so exotic for sports. So PETA doesn't want us to shoot Bigfoot. They don't want us to have anything. How about talking about a group that's actually relevant? <laughs> here's, here's my issue with this. Yeah. Okay, maybe if we were killing Bigfoot for to wear his matted, stinky fur or to eat his gamey meat, Peter could step in. But if Bigfoot is real and he's threatening me, I'm going to shoot him. I'm not going to stop and think about what Peter thinks about the situation. You know, I, I really don't care about uh, Alicia Silverstone posing naked, telling me not to shoot. Well, <laughs> all right, that might make me think twice. One more story here real quick. Psychic manatees are predicting the Super Bowl winner. It'll be the Broncos versus the Seahawks tomorrow, but uh, these manatees, Hugh and Buffett, is it Buffett or Buffet? Looks like Buffett. Yeah. Hugh and Buffett, two manatees who live at the aquarium at the Moda Marine Laboratory in Sarasota, Florida, have offered their picks for the Super Bowl. However, like humans, they can't agree on which team will win. One's picking the Broncos, one's picking the Seahawks. Uh, but... Let's see here. Hugh picked the Seahawks while Buffett picked the Broncos. They each have a 50-50 chance, of course, of being right, but they're putting more stock in Buffett's pro-Broncos prediction because he has chosen the correct team for the past six years, while Hugh has been right four out of the six Super Bowls. So, Yeah, but they're no octopus. 
No, they're not. N- nor are they the uh, chicken. Was the chicken that played bingo? Something like that. I think there was a pair or something last year. I don't know. There was. I remember there was a chicken that did something. He either played bingo or chess or something because we were going to challenge him. Yeah. But it never came to be. Apparently, he backed down from our challenge. He didn't take us seriously enough. So there you have it. That is the week and weird for this week. If you have any stories that you think are strange and unusual and you would like us to share them, just tweet them to us at SpookySC. So easy. So easy to share. And I, I've noticed, too, that a lot of people do share stories with us now. Yeah, they do. So we cool. appreciate that. Yeah. We thank them for that. Thank you. And if we had bumper stickers, we would have bumper stickers for all, but we don't. Limited spot. Right. Very limited. Which, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we need. And we're not we're not above putting our hand out to ask for things, which is why we've started a GoFundMe campaign. If you go to GoFundMe.com/slash/SpookySouthCoast, you can make a donation to help us with the production of this program, including Spooky TV. Uh, as you can see, if you're watching on Spooky TV with our cruddy webcam that we have over there in the corner, uh, we've got some some old laptops that don't really do the job anymore, and still can't log into chat. Yeah, we have no chat access tonight. Whatsoever. So anybody that's in the I, chat room I has have any questions. Here. You do. I do. So you can ask the questions if any pop up. Yep. So keep an eye on that for us because I'm sure there will be some popping up tonight with tonight's topic. So if you go to GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast, we lay it all out there. We're trying to get some donations so we can get some new equipment, some new computers. We have visions of getting uh, a new laptop and a desktop that can help us in the production of Spooky TV and this program. Uh, we're also hoping to get some new webcams. Matt, have you looked into those GoPro cameras? Are those would those work as like studio cameras in here? Um, I'm not sure. They're cool though. They are, and they're relatively inexpensive, yeah. and they're very high quality. Yep. And what I like yeah. about them is they're rugged. And we are rough on our equipment. So. <laughs> we are. We are. I think that uh, if we can, you know, raise some funds, and we are, you know, we're looking for $5,500 in donations. That's where, we're, where we set our goal at with the intention of really building up this spooky TV uh, into something. And we've already, as you've seen over the last few weeks, you know, we've got new programming. We've got Paranormal After Party. We've got Slaps 360. We've got Spirit Connections. We've got all these programs for you to watch all week long on the website, Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. We've also begun offering that pay-per-view option. Mm-hmm. Last week, we had the pay-per-view of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary on Tuesday night. Pretty big crowd for that. Yep. And then we'll have it again this coming Tuesday night. Yep, 10 o'clock. 10 p.m. Eastern time, and you can purchase it. Now, uh, I know the price went up a little bit from that one. Is it seven ninety-nine? Yep, it's seven ninety-nine. Um, it's going to be 10 o'clock uh, on Tuesday night, and um, it should be a good time. And the chat room will yep. be open yep. for people to... I'm going to try to... Um, I'm not sure if Aaron's going to be there uh, again in the chat room, but he was in the last last time. I think people were uh, rifling off some questions here and there, and uh, we're going to try to get Manny in there, maybe. Excellent. One thing that I do want to make note of for people who are considering purchasing uh, the pay-per-view, you need to be aware of the fact that it's dependent on your internet connection. So if you're watching on Spooky TV right now and you're getting a decent picture, that's the you know that's what you'll have for the pay-per-view. And a lot of people's Internet providers, they will drop off in speed as you get later in the evening. And as more people are home on their devices, it will also lag the Internet, too, especially if you have, like, Comcast, where it's everybody's working at a one centralized hub. So I know there were some issues last week with people having some complaints about buffering and things like that. But you got to remember, it's the Internet. So part of it's going to be on your end as well. Uh, and we can't really guarantee that, you know, you're going to have a flawless experience with it. But 
we right. do say that you can check ahead of time uh, by going and in, in watching it. One one thing I should probably ask is right. off here. Is it possible that we could do like the first five minutes of the pay per view? Uh, free of charge, and then the charge kicks in if they want to continue watching it, so they have a chance to test it out. Um, I think we'd, we'd have to probably look into it, or maybe uh, we could run some sort of, right, you know, right. maybe we could run the trailer if, beforehand. If um, if you have some doubts about your uh, your internet um, connection, uh, just go on uh, UStream and try other people's videos. Sure, and uh, we, we've see, got videos stored up there. They have, uh, they have some good, uh, like twenty four hour. Um, Videos from like Discovery Channel and things like that, so you can poke around on those, see how if those are giving you a problem as well, then um, you might have an issue when you try to watch the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. And if people would like to help support this program and and want to get something for your money, you know, we appreciate the donations. I mentioned the GoFundMe. Uh, we do appreciate your donations, but if you'd like to get something. For your money. Why not join us at a Legend Trips event? We have a few tickets remaining for the Lizzie Borden event coming up February 22nd, which we made available because of the film. We finagled a few things. We moved some things around. Basically told Moniz, don't show up. We need to give you a spot to somebody. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but what, what we've done is we've been able to make a few tickets available. So if you want to join us, I would definitely jump on that quickly. Go to legendtrips.com, where you can get to it from spookysouthcoast.com. And purchase those last few remaining tickets for the Lizzie Borden event, Dead of Winter 2014. We will have unfettered, exclusive access to the entire house. It will be ours for the entire course of the evening. Uh, we'll be investigating all the way until 2 a.m., so you don't want to miss your chance to get in there, because you'll get into the nooks and crannies of the house that you just can't see on the tour. And then also, we just announced this weekend the big exclusive presale for our next Legend Trips event. If you have ever gone on one of our events, your email is put onto our mailing list, or you can go to legendtrips.com and you can sign up for the mailing list, and you will get first crack at tickets whenever we put them on sale for a new event. This is a new location that we've never been to before and that they've never allowed anything like this before. So we're going to be the first event company to come in and do something like this. And we are in pre-sale, so I'm really not supposed to give it away, but... We're going to the Mark Twain House in Hartford, Connecticut. The actual home, I think it was 11 or 12 years that he lived there, Samuel Longhorn Clemens, Mark Twain, lived in this house. His daughter passed away not long after they moved from the house, when he moved to England, and supposedly her spirit still haunts the house. You've seen it on Ghost Hunters. You've read about it in books. You've seen it in the Haunted New England calendar. Uh, now is your chance to get out and actually investigate it for yourself. So we are in the exclusive pre-sale mode for that. Tickets will go on sale to the general public Monday, and they're only $99. That includes dinner. That includes lectures. That includes a historic tour of the property and hours of guided investigation. And we don't just investigate. You know, We're not just walking around with flashlights and tape recorders. We've got some of the most innovative gear out there. We have that Xbox Connect system that Bill Chapel has designed, we have that for you to use and experience for yourself at our Legend Trips events. So if you want to take part, just go to legendtrips.com. We do try to keep all of our tickets at the $99 mark. However, the Lizzie Borden event is a little bit more money because it's a little bit harder to get the house. So uh, those are $135 a piece. But again, they include dinner, lectures, historical tour, and hours of guided investigation. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we will be joined by our guest tonight, Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal, to talk about 
whether or not people consider the paranormal to be their religion. And if they are, that means I am your preacher and this is my pulpit. You guys can be my altar boys. Uh, so, uh, no? All right. <laughs> I thought that that might be the way that you would react to that possibility. Uh, I'm not surprised that that's the way that you feel. I won't take it personally. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. about to say who shakes the very foundation of every medical precept you hold dear. We have entered the realm of the supernatural. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back. Tim Weisberg here with you, as well as the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. Joining us in just a few minutes, we'll have Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal, but we do have a phone call on the line, so let's take that. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm, I'm trying to... You, you guys have a... And, and uh, watching online, as far as like a, a, you know, like the cameras in the studio. Yeah, Spooky TV, we call it. Yeah, well, I'm online right now. I'm trying to get trying to get to it, and I can't can't get to it. Are you are you having? Is it not loading up, or you can't find the actual page where it is? I can't find the actual page where it is. I'm on Spooky South Coast right now. Okay, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, right at the top, we have all those tabs at the very top in the upper left hand corner. You'll see the one that says Spooky TV. Yep. Yeah, I keep I keep uh, hitting that, and it's not working. It's not going on. It's a little... Does it open open another page? Oh, it's working now. Okay. And then you should see a, an option for video full screen, video plus chat, audio only. Those are the different ways that you can get the stream. Oh, I got them. All right. All right. And you can also get it, too, for anybody out there. You can also get it, too, from WBSM.com on the Spooky South Coast page. You can also get our video feed there as well. So. Okay. All thank right. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Enjoy the show. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Yeah, see, there's so many ways to get a hold of it. We try and do what we can uh, to make sure that we can, you know, that we can provide you at least some sort of content. But we can make it better if you just go to GoFundMe.com slash Spooky South Coast and make a donation. I'm not going to keep, you know, pimping for donations, uh, but, you know, we need them. We appreciate the ones that we've already gotten. We really can't. We, we pay for this show out of our own pocket. This is independently produced by the three of us and so for us to go out and get all new equipment it would break us financially so we need you the audience to help us out a little bit with that all right well let's get into tonight's topic with our guest tonight ken DeCosta of rise up paranormal he's been researching the paranormal since childhood at age eight he began reading about ufos and this interest eventually led him into research of ghosts and hauntings he found himself fascinated by the concept of applying scientific methodology to the paranormal investigation and the prospect of linking it to 
to historical research. In founding Rise Up, he has gathered a team of people who share his passion for conducting objective, unbiased paranormal research, and he's also a member of the Atlantic Paranormal Society home team, the TAPS home team, and uh, he is also an avid sports fan and a longtime coach and administrator for numerous local baseball leagues. So, Ken, uh, i got to ask you, do you have a Super Bowl pick? Uh, actually, I have a uh, group of manatees coming over the house tomorrow <laughs> to uh, watch the game, and uh, I, my understanding is they get a bundle on this. But uh, I'm going to go with the uh, I'm going to go with Denver tomorrow. That seems to be the safe pick. I, I've been asking psychic friends. You know, all, you know, years ago, uh, all the psychics that I knew, they all wanted to get on the radio, and, and you know, they they contact me and say, you know, I want to make a Super Bowl prediction on the air. Now they seem to be getting away from that more and more. I wonder why that is. Oh, I think the animals are probably more accurate. <laughs> and I love uh, too with the people who are like, well, I just guess, you know, based on which animal would beat which animal. I think a horse would beat a, a Seahawk, so therefore the Broncos will win. And they they get it right more than I do. Yeah, I think a few years back, if you guys remember the old uh, Cheers TV show, I think that uh, Diane would pick winners of football games based on the Philharmonic Ensemble. Of every city who had best Philharmonic Ensemble or something like that, and she was just like crushing everybody in the bar or something like that. So, well, whatever works, know, right? Yes, yeah, that's how random those things are sometimes. But yeah, I like Denver tomorrow. Uh, Seattle a little bit too mouthy for me. So sentimentally, I guess uh, you know my heart's not in it, but I'm going to go with Manning tomorrow. Well, you say that to some degree it's luck, but also uh, a lot of it is blind faith. And blind faith is something that we see quite a bit in the paranormal field. And when I first saw you posting on Facebook about tonight's topic of the the idea of the paranormal as a religion, it immediately struck a chord with me because it's something that we've been talking about here uh, both on and off the air for the last few years. People seem so invested into this, it has become their be-all, end-all. So I think so. I mean, I think there are a lot of correlations between paranormal beliefs and religion. Um, you know, I'm kind of an historian when it comes to this, and um, I research, the, you know, what came before us, our forebearers, you know, the spiritualist movement, uh, uh, societies like the Ghost Club, the Society for Psychical Research, and uh, the people who delved into what, you know, we're doing now uh, 150 years ago. And there's a lot of correlations that um, that you can draw on this, and it just kind of struck me um, as the years went on because um, people who are really invested in religious in, in religious um, dogma can be very zealous. Uh, they can be very proprietal. They can be very territorial, mm -hmm. and those things can move them to the point of conflict sometimes. And you know, we see more than our fair share in uh, this particular field. And um, belief systems are a very, very powerful thing. You know, th there are a lot of correlations uh, in regards to, uh, you know, I, I always, I use this as an example for people. They say to me, 
how can you prove to me the existence of a ghost? How can you prove to me that a ghost exists? And I say, well, I, I don't know that I could because I don't know if it's a state of being. I don't know if it's a, a physical state as much as it is an emotional state. You know, that's like saying to me, prove to you that love exists. Well, I can't prove it to you, but you can experience it for yourself. And it's the same thing with a ghost. You know, I can't prove it to you that it's there, but hopefully you can have that experience, and then that will allow you to believe in its existence. And it's the same thing with faith. It, that's that's the very definition of faith, believing in something that you can't prove is there, but yet you allow it to guide you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of this uh, is part of the human condition, and I think that the more we understand how our minds work, um, and what it is about us that makes us the flawed creatures that we are, I think those are going to be the biggest advances in this field. Everybody talks about the technology and so forth and so on, but I think that uh, as long as it's human beings that are reporting these things, then that's got to be our focus on what it is that makes us who we are. Because um, the thing about humans, we're all looking for what is our place in this world? Mm -hmm. What's the meaning of it? Uh, Why are we here? What are we supposed to accomplish? And I think um, religion, as people turn to that, offers some insight into it. But um, so does the paranormal. Because um, to me, the paranormal and traditional religions are probably less likely to look at the world as a place controlled by cause and effect. Um, you know, for every action, there's a positive and equal reaction and so forth. But there's more of a, they take more of a presumption that outside forces influence our actions and uh, the course of our lives. So people who are true believers, they're, they're probably more willing to place a meaning into what really may be just random events. You know, and and people are more willing to attribute those to uh, psychic ability, ghosts, uh, divine intervention, and so forth. So they kind of share that sort of outlook and um, that approach. But um, you know, and belief in the paranormal, just like in religion, um, you know, can it can to some people bring meaning to the, our lives and an explanation for the things that happen in our lives and it can um it can give us some comfort in um in tough times as well i i think that a lot of people feel like believing in a religion and believing in the paranormal or or the pursuit of the paranormal uh, i think that makes them feel like they are part of something that is bigger than themselves but in actuality the pursuit of either is probably very selfish in its general nature because both sides are probably very rooted in our own desire to think that there's something beyond this life, whether it be that we're going to go to heaven, whether it be that we're going to have a spiritual connection with those who are left behind. Either way, either hand that you look at, the idea is that we're hoping that there's something more. Yeah, I mean, you know, some religions, uh, I mean, are pretty liberal in their views and as far as letting people find their own way. Other religions are very, very strict in their in their dogma. But, I mean, in the end... Um, for a lot of people, it's important to belong to a group that shares a similar outlook that you can draw from. So being very social creatures that we are, I mean, that group mentality takes on a pretty vital meaning, you know. So mm-hmm. for a lot of people, joining a paranormal team uh, kind of satisfies that need to to some degree. And um, for some, it fills, a, it fills a void in their lives and... Um, kind of gives them answers 
to questions they're looking for in a group setting where they find people that uh, have similar beliefs. And, um, you know, the opposite is true as well. People who are extremely religious and set in their ways also tend to gravitate to each other. And I think this is where you get people who are involved in things like demonology and so forth and so on, because, um, you know, they generally uh, adhere to each other. You know, you find someone who has that common interest. And um, in the paranormal, I think uh, people share that view as well. We are talking with Ken DaCosta about the idea of the paranormal as a religion. And throughout the course of the discussion, if you would like to call in with your thoughts, you can do so by calling 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. The numbers are posted right up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well if you need them during the course of the program. Uh, you know, and we're not afraid to take the gloves off a little bit here uh, and, and really get into some of the roots of this. And if we end up you know, aggravating some people, that's fine. I always end up aggravating people when I talk about religion because I don't know that much about it. And I still make broad generalizations, and I'm, I should, probably shouldn't, but I still do. But one thing that I've noticed, and, and, and a, a real correlation that we can make here, is we, and I know that you've seen this, Ken. You've been in this field a long time. There are certain group founders, certain group leaders who almost take on that evangelical approach to running their group to to the fact that you've got, you know, they're the Jim Jones and all their, you know, black T-shirted members are drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I mean, I hate to use something, uh, you know, um, as general as a Christ-like figure, but um, I think some people do impart their views on others, and it's something that I know we try to stay away from because in the end, if we're called upon to assess a situation, uh, my personal beliefs don't, they just don't matter. You know, mm -hmm. when I walk in the door, what I believe or not believe in isn't really relative or germane to what we're trying to accomplish. Um, it's easier said than done because we all have what we believe in. But, you know, we're, we try to look at things in an unbiased point of view objectively. Um, we're looking for empirical data. Um, we're not scientists, you know, and, you know, we're not going to tell you we approach things scientifically and all the rest of this thing that you, you normally read. I mean, you know, I can make a microwave popcorn. I have a microwave oven. It doesn't make me a scientific cook because I have a gadget, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times people not only um, recruit people that have a uh, a similar viewpoint, but I think oftentimes they are guilty of forcing it on other people. You know, when you go into a location and you're screaming, screaming demon, as we call it, because this is the mindset you're coming from. This is the place you're coming from. And we see that with people getting certificates online to be ordained ministers, and maybe that, all, uh, that opens some doors for them. I don't know. But I think one has to tread very carefully when you introduce these beliefs um, into what you maintain is supposed to be an objective assessment of the situation. And you can run into some dangers there as well. Well, there's there's definitely the danger of, uh, you know, when you, you see people who go through crisis, uh, they have a tough time in their lives or, or, you know, maybe they're addiction dependent. There's all these different reasons why people will say that they've found religion. You know, they will find God and that will turn their life around and it will give them a renewed sense of purpose and, and give them a new outlook on life. 
and the same thing will happen with people in the paranormal where you know it almost becomes that ability for them to to turn their life around you know it gives them a sense of belonging it gives them a sense of something greater whatever the reason is but it becomes that purpose in their life and and that's pretty dangerous because if you can't draw that line if you can't keep your feet grounded in the world of the living uh then you're kind of doomed to spend your time in the, in the land of the dead uh while you're still on this earth and that's that's the biggest problem that i see with a lot of the it's, it's almost like uh, the weak-willed people are easily i, I don't want to say fooled but they're they make greater leaps in logic very quickly you know, I mean, I think that most people who live um, a conventional and conform type of life are probably less likely to believe in the paranormal, sure. And those that uh, maybe are a bit more eccentric, think outside the box, live a little more unconventional life, are probably more likely to turn toward the supernatural outside of traditional religion. I mean, religions uh, evolve, and they evolve to reflect the times that we live in. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of times it meets a great deal of resistance from the old guard, you know, because they fear a you know, certain loss of control over things. Uh, when they change or modify um, their religious, you know, dogma, I keep using that word, but, you know, usually it's not in leaps and bounds. Um, so, I mean, in, in these days, the advance of technology and um, our ability to more and more control our environment, it, it kind of leads to a more self-absorbed view of ourselves that we're in control and not some deity, you know. So um, a lot of religious teachings and followings kind of fall into question, and people start to um, start to ask critical questions about it, like, you know, what is, again, what is my place in the world? Do my religious beliefs reflect my own perception of, of, of what I'm looking for? But, uh, I mean, and, you know, people are going to believe what they want to believe. Sure. You know, it doesn't matter how stringent they're religious upbringing is and you know they'll apply or discard whatever they want to um so they can bring um some sense and their own comfort level into line well you know we like to look at and, and you mentioned it a, a few moments ago that you know this isn't a science but there are still people in the paranormal field that want it to be viewed as such and the the field is in general always felt that that was kind of what was missing from the pursuit of the paranormal is having that uh you know, the approval of the scientific community. But right. the same thing has happened with religion over the years, where at one point the paranormal and religion went hand in hand, whereas now right. there's been that sep separation, there's been that, uh, you know, that line of demarcation between the two, and, and it shouldn't be crossed. Oh, yeah. I mean, people wrestle with that a lot, you know, because most religions have their origins in the supernatural. Um, yet a lot of religions, you know, the Catholic Church, you know, forbids any kind of communication with spirits, you know, and a lot of them won't accept the supernatural as anything commonplace. You know, it kind of makes me laugh when you'll see a TV show or, you know, you'll read that uh, somebody suggests that your client uh, go out and have a house blessing, you know, find a person with a cloth, come in, you know, bless the house, et cetera, and so forth. Good luck with that. Good luck with finding somebody in the clergy um who you're going to explain your situation to. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but I have run into very few people who have told me, oh, yeah, the pastor came over and blessed the house, and, uh, you know, because they just don't want to give that type of credence to it. So, you know, I think that, 
you know, it's a hard thing because they're based in the supernatural. They're based around ghosts and parables and and rising from the dead and so forth. You know, you know, we have that need to explain what is unexplainable to us. You know, and at first, you know, we always attach a paranormal value to things we don't understand. You know, thunder was the gods being angry at us or something like that, but. You know, in the end, we want to know what happens to us when life ceases, and we want to know that everything's going to be fine. And, you know, in the paranormal, just like religion, uh, for some people, they think it can answer those questions and make us all feel better about the whole life-death thing. Um, but uh, there's a lot of dichotomy and a lot of conflict in um, what we're taught and then what we're trying to get at ourselves. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have a problem with that within their religion. Well, it's funny that you mentioned, though, the uh, the idea of some of these stories, uh, because so many of the basis of, you know, the, the Bible, for example, is full of stories that could be considered paranormal. And if you, if you take them at their literal face value, then, yeah, you're talking about the strange and unusual, you're talking about the supernatural. Uh, but if you look at them as kind of an allegory, uh, as kind of a, a greater message, a parable, as you said, then we could kind of apply the same thing to the paranormal. You know, maybe we're having these interactions not as a way to uh, make a connection necessarily with a person who's no longer with us, but maybe it's designed to allow us to learn a little bit more about our own time here on this earth. Yeah, I think that, it, again, you know, more and more um, as we evolve as a culture, we're starting to question um, teachings because we live in a very technological age and we've grown in leaps and bounds the ability to think in the abstract, to develop things. To, if you can think it, you can you can build it. Um, that type of thing. And some people would say, well, that in itself is a gift from God. You know, and I don't dispute that. But, um, you know, it, it's a tough time we live in because, uh, to me, and this is probably, I'm not breaking any new ground here. You guys probably know this as well as I do. But, you know, the interest in the paranormal um, mirrors that of religion in that um, the interest in both kind of spikes during any time of, of social, economical, political upheaval right. and turmoil and military conflict. And because, uh, you know, interest in this and the, uh, the increase in it is pretty cyclical throughout our history, you know, and that's been proven so, you know, the Civil War era um, really kind of pushed the spiritualist movement to the forefront, you know, mediums and psychics and readings and, and things like that, and, you know, resurfaced in World War One and World War II. Uh, Vietnam in the 70s had took a little bit more of a New Age approach, um, and then we see it now in contemporary times the same way. You know, we're introducing more technology into it, so it's just it just reflects where we are as a society in a given time, and as somebody who's been interested in this since I was a kid... I mean, I've seen the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and so forth, and how all of this has evolved and how we put more of um, a reflection of the times into how all this is, is being approached. So it's, it's pretty interesting, uh, um, you know, kind of, kind of an interesting thing, yeah. 
Well, we are coming up on the uh, the break here for the news, but coming up in the next hour, we can throw the phone lines open, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. I would especially be interested in hearing from people who are religious uh, and who are involved in the paranormal and see what kind of dichotomy you see in your own life and in your own pursuit of this field. Uh, we can also talk about this 2005 Baylor religion survey because this has given us a lot of the pulse of the general public of how they feel about the existence of the paranormal. And it's interesting, as we said, you know, socioeconomics has a lot to do with it as people become wealthier, as people become more well-off, and as they become older, they may have less of a connection to their religion. And the same thing happens with the paranormal as well. It seems to be a, a certain demographic that we can apply to, in some degrees, interest in the paranormal field. So we can talk about all that coming up in the next hour, and uh, we'll also find out about some of the things that Ken has going on. Ken, anything coming up? I know that you guys do a lot of events uh, at the Payne House. Yeah, we'll be starting up in the spring again, Tim, and um, again, we're going to have our annual uh, Ocean State Paracon coming up in July this year, and I'd like to tell uh, all the listeners a little bit about that a little bit later on. Absolutely. We will discuss that. And, of course, uh, you can see Ken and the members of Rise Up at various different events going on uh, around the New England area. And you can also visit their website as well if you'd like to find out more about them during the course of the news break. You can go to riseupparanormal.com. It's also linked up to the front page of spookysouthcoast.com as well. Uh, as I said, though, we do have to take a break for the news. want to remind everybody during the news break as well, you can go to Legend Trips. Dot com and you can grab up those last few remaining Lizzie Borden tickets. There's only a few left because uh, we do have to, you know, cap it. We we have limited space available, so you can uh, go to legendtrips.com to get those tickets. And also, that will be the website to go to on Monday when we open up tickets to the Mark Twain House to the general public. So if you'd like to come and investigate the Mark Twain House, that would be the way to do that. So we'll take a break for the news. When we come back more with our guest, Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal, and your calls as well, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. We'll be back after the news with more Spooky South Coast. Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, and Science Advisor, Matt Moniz. We are discussing the idea of the paranormal as a religion with our guest tonight, Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal. Again, their website is riseupparanormal.com. If you would like to find out about who they are and what they do, including some of the events that they hold and, and the Paracon coming up in July. And uh, the Paracon has been a, a pretty big success for you, Ken, too. It seems to be getting bigger each year. Yeah, um, it really has, and that's thanks to the support, really, of um, 
everybody coming together for a, a very good cause. And this year we're going to do it for the uh, Autism Society of Rhode Island, where uh, 100% of the proceeds go to them. And um, this year it's going to be held in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Well. Um, and on two days, we are actually making it a weekend event, July 19th and 20th. And we're going to have um, some of the best and brightest of the paranormal field there. We've got some tremendous guests and speakers. And uh, again, this year, I would like to absolutely, you know, open our arms and invite you guys in. I know Matt came last year, got a free T-shirt out of it and everything. So, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think his entire wardrobe consists of free T-shirts he got from somewhere. Cool. And he's like, you know, we'll see what we can do this year. I'm a walking but, uh, billboard. Can you do me a favor? Can can you can you get him some uh, maybe some Paracon pants? Because he's just been wearing the same pair. Paracon pants. Yeah. Can you write this down? All right, there you can go. You write this down. You know. Well, and it's the it, idea is coming. It's interesting too because of course Harrisville has been put on the map, paranormally speaking, recently with the Conjuring movie coming out. And it has, and um, it really wasn't by design. It was really by necessity that uh, we decided to hold it in Harrisville at the Assembly Hall Theater, which is a 300-seat theater, wonderful little place. And this year we're going to have an indoor-outdoor event, so everybody will be under tents. So wear your really uh, obnoxious Hawaiian shirts and cargo shorts, and uh, I invite everybody to come down for a great summer night. It's only going to be $5 admission to get in um, each day. So it's really affordable, and uh, it's all to a very, very worthy cause. In the last two years, we've raised close to $6,000 for Excellent. charities in um, in uh, in Rhode Island, and uh, we're hoping to, to best that again this year. So we're really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely uh, help out with that as however we can. We do have a call on the line, so uh, let's take that call. And if you would like to call in at any point during the course of tonight's discussion, the numbers are 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also tweet us at SpookySC, or you can email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Ken DaCosta. How are you? Hi, this is Andrea Perrin. Hello, Andrea. Wow. Just talking about Harrisville, and, and uh, you were sitting and there, there waiting on the line. And there she is. Hi, Andrea. Hi. How are you, darling? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, good. Uh, Ken's my buddy. Um, whenever I'm in Rhode Island, we make mischief. I, you know, he and Keith Johnson, I'll tell you what, the two of them are a laugh riot. Although you wouldn't think that of Keith, because he's so low-key. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... It's what I look forward to, um, going up and reconnecting with all my uh, paranormal partners, as it were. Well, it should be a fantastic time, and, uh, and you know, you're right. We've seen it firsthand. When Keith Johnson decides to let his hair down, so to speak, <laughs> you know, he, he, he can party just like everybody else. He can. <laughs> He's got a little wild child still left in him after all these years. Well, I don't know if it's uh, it's because we all bring it out of him. That might it might be our fault, you know. I I feel certain it's your fault, honey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I just wanted to add that uh, Paracon this year and uh, holding it in Harrisville is very much because of the efforts of Andrea, and she knows I love her for this. Um, we had some problems finding a venue this year that was suitable, and um, in a pinch. Um, she came up with a suggestion of the uh, 
Assembly Hall, which um, she was part of, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to tell your story, Andrea, but I think you were part of the repertory company there for 20-some-odd years. Yes, theater company so in Rhode Island. She, uh, very graciously, like you know, came up with a suggestion, and um, the more I heard about it, the more, you know, I get excited about the prospect of, of, of holding it there and really making a community event. So, you know, I said this privately, but I say it publicly, Andrea, thank you so much for, uh, for, for being there when we needed you. Well, I appreciate it, and I consider myself a member of your team in absentia. So uh, I was just doing my part, and really all it took, because I know everybody in Burrowville, because I'm, it still is in heart my home, uh, all I really had to do was send an email and pick up the phone. <laughs> it was really not that difficult, uh, but it was absolutely my pleasure uh, to do whatever I could, what small part I played, because I think that it is the absolute perfect home for the Paracon. I think that after this year you're going to understand that it's the place you want to have it every year. It is a truly spectacular venue. It is, the natural beauty of the place is astounding. And the village of Harrisville uh, is just open, warm, loving arms of so, so many people who are really excited about this event taking place there. It should be a, a fantastic time, and uh, hopefully uh, everybody can get out to it, because not only will they have the chance to learn and have these great experiences and meet great people, but you'll be helping a great cause uh, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, well, thank you so much for checking in, Andrea. We'll have to have you back on uh, pretty soon coming up here, and I'm hoping you consider my offer from earlier this week. Oh, I will, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to being in touch with you. I'll send you a personal message and let you know how everything is transpiring. Excellent. And I just want to wish you, all of you gentlemen, uh, the very best. The work that you do is important, uh, and I mean this for Ken as well. You know, it's very important work that's being done in, in innumerable ways in this field by people who are thoughtful and mature and in it for all the right reasons. And all of you are a stellar example of that. So I thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. You have a great night. You too. Good night now. Bye-bye. And that is Andrea Parent. And if you would like to call in and share your thoughts as well, the numbers are 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And, and really, Ken, you know, uh, as much as, you know, the, the movie got everybody uh, talking about this case, uh, what a gift it is to the paranormal community to have someone like Andrea who, is, uh, who has documented her experiences in her book, House of Darkness, House of Light, the, the three-part series, and who has been able to be so forthcoming with all of this information about what happened to her family and to give us a real true case study into what can happen to one family. Oh, absolutely. I think it was um, a book that was uh, a long time in the coming, you know, uh, Andrea sacrificed uh, a career, um, a lot of her social life and so forth, because, um, you know, she said quite often she felt compelled to to put her thoughts to paper, um, getting her family all on board with this to, uh, to be able to share their story. And it's not an easy thing because, um, you know, there were probably times when, you know, not everybody wanted to share. Um, such a personal experience, but um, you know, it's certainly been uh, 
wildly successful, you know, in, in spawning a, a movie of that uh, of that scope. So, um, and to have it happen here um, in Rhode Island, to be quite honest with you, um, I wasn't aware of the situation exactly what went on um, in their home probably until maybe three years ago. Um, I know that the uh, Colin Keith Johnson as students at Rick um, were there and eventually you know the Warrens came in and you know everyone knows the story but um, fascinating study in um, what happened to uh, basically a typical American family. Well, and, and part of the story that I think, uh, has, has gone untold to the, to the paranormal community and to the world in general, though, is the, the fallout that has happened, uh, at that house as a result of this film becoming such a huge success. And uh, I know that yourself and Rise Up, as well as some other local groups, have had to deal with kind of the fallout of that. Yeah, I mean, it's just been, um, it's just been terrible what, uh, you know, current owners have had to deal with. Um, these type of things happen. I don't think you can ever prepare yourself for them. Um, and certainly they weren't. And, uh, we've, um, really made pleas to the public to, um, you know, try to, you know, just respect the privacy. This, this is not their story. Mm-hmm. This is the story of the Perron family and by extension, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Anybody who's seen the movie, it's become very clear. This is pretty much a movie about the Warrens. And uh, these people have not had the experiences there that they have. I mean, we've I, I've been in the house. We haven't. We we were. They were gracious enough to allow us in and investigate the house. I think we were the last people in there to investigate the house. And there's nothing of the breath and scope that ever happened to the Perrons there. So, um, um, in that regard, it's it's kind of hard to uh, you know put the genie back in the bottle now. But uh, hopefully, people. Uh, you know, just kind of have a you know a little bit of, a little bit of compassion for uh, the people who now live there, and um, you know, like the old saying goes, there's there's nothing to see. There there, there truly isn't. It's not their story, and um, but these things happen. There's only so much you can do to control people. It's uh, just kind of the way it is. Absolutely. Well, you know, and we're discussing the idea of of the paranormal being people's religion. And when you have a a true story like that, when you have a a place, a location that you can give uh, the exact address, not that people should give the address of of Norma's house, but I'm just saying when you can actually physically pinpoint where something like this happened, it almost becomes uh, like someone going to the Holy Land or someone going to uh, to Lords or yeah or Mecca. It becomes yeah. a drawing point for them to 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 kind of feed into their fervor. Yeah, and I'm not sure what people expect to see at these places. Um, you know, especially some of the more notorious places throughout the country. I know that people make these treks to places like Waverly Hills and Bobby Mackey's and, um, you know, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, the Shining Hotel, the Stanley, uh, Stanley Hotel, Stan- the Stanley Hotel, and, you know, all of these places. And, um, I mean, really, it comes a point where it becomes very commercial and very commerce. You know, but, um, you know, people want to go and they want to see, and that's fine. But I think that they, um, you know, sometimes you need to manage your expectations. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, a little bit better than people 
than people actually do. But, you know, like I say, it's it's become a very commercialized thing right now, and uh, it's just kind of the way it is until, you know, it all dies down again and we go through another cycle. You know? Well, I don't mean to be hypocritical, you know, <laughs> as I'm pushing legend trips in our events there, but, of course, we do raise money for, for these places. We've raised over $17,000 to date, but I, mean, I, I don't mean to be hypocritical by saying, you know, that people shouldn't make these treks to these places, but... When you look at it, you have people who are spending, you know, thousands of dollars to rent out Waverly Hills for the night for their group and spending thousands of dollars getting down to Louisville, Kentucky and, you know, going out and buying new equipment for and really you could experience the paranormal in my opinion anyway anywhere if the factors are right. So you're going to spend all this money to go to this place and maybe not have anything happen. You could probably just slip the guy 50 bucks who owns the abandoned warehouse in your town and say, can you let us in for the night and, and have the same type of experience and have the same type of potential for experience. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to research versus, um, you know, just a night out. Mm-hmm. Basically, and and there's nothing wrong with either one. I mean, there really isn't. You know, I I don't have. You know, we've been to some of these places ourselves. You know, we've been to Rolling Hills Asylum, and uh, we've been to Fort Mifflin. We've been to Eastern State Penitentiary. So, you know, I find nothing wrong with that. But I think that uh, a lot of times um, there's a there's quite a difference between someone's private residence and a place that obviously opens its doors and its arms for you to, to rent for the night and have whatever experiences you have. But uh, in a case like what is going on in Harrisville, it's it's, um, it's private property. It's not welcome, um, not at all, but still people infringe upon it, which is, uh, you know, kind of a really interesting phenomenon, why people would, uh, you know, throw normal integrity and compassion to the wind just for, you know, the sake of walking around the yard once and not seeing anything, but just the idea is like, we were there, you know. And, and you know, the the idea of, of legend tripping is, is what we refer to it as, the idea of just going there and, and having the experience and, and not worrying about the fallout from that. You're just going there to have something happen. And that's fine if you want to go to some of these you know, uh, public locations or places that hold events and do it in that way. But when groups are going out and essentially legend tripping in a private residence, when people are contacting you for help and you're going out there just to get your kicks, then, then that's the problem. I mean, that's that goes beyond uh, just being addicted to the paranormal. That goes into uh, wrecking people's lives. Well, I mean, I, you know, how that draws a correlation to religion um, is that a lot of times people will have access to these places, whether it's let's say a private residence, and they will go in with the express purpose of spreading the word. It's almost like they're coming to sell you the watchtower. You know, they'll go in and whatever their particular beliefs are, um, they will try to foist them on the people that were there and throw any kind of objective assessment to the wind. you know, I have never in the years that I've been doing this ever encountered anything that I would say was demonic. And that's the truth. You know, and people, you know, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? I have never encountered anything demonic in my estimation. But yet there are some people who encounter them. So either I'm doing something wrong or there is something that just doesn't quite 
smell right here. But a lot of these people go into a home and they have a preconceived idea of what they want this to be based on what they believe in. And again, it's almost like going in and spreading the word. Um, and I think that that can do irreparable damage to not only the field in general, but certainly to the people who have been gracious enough to open their doors to you. Well, if we are uh, making the correlation of the religion and paranormal, then let's talk about these reality programs for a minute. You know, does Jason Haas become Jimmy Swaggart in this scenario? Uh, are we looking at these reality television shows as being the kind of the false hope almost that uh, we get from some of these televangelists that are so prevalent on television? Well, I think they become iconic figures, uh, whether it's just by um, natural means, the natural course of things. If you're on television, you become a public figure. Eventually, you'll become quite iconic, and sometimes it's by design. But uh, you'll notice a lot of times when these people post things, the idea that <clears throat> the public will try to identify with them. And it's an interesting phenomenon. It really is. If, for instance, I hate to use Jason's name, like anybody, Zach Bagans, right, yeah, out there, yeah, they'll post not? a picture... They'll post a picture of their dog sitting on the couch, and you'll read, and this is usually Facebook, which is the social media, the official social media of the paranormal community. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're all too long-winded for Twitter. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but they'll post a picture of their dog sitting on a couch, and somebody will say, that looks just like my couch, or my dog does that too. Or that looks just like my dog, you know, or something to, I have those drapes in my house. You know, right. anything, any little thing to try to identify themselves with these figures that become icons. And I think if you take a little time to think about that, again, um, these people are placed in such a high place um, that it almost resembles worship of a certain sort you know fan is just short for the word fanatic mm -hmm. well we we see that happen with a lot of celebrities you know like uh whoever the popular teen star is of the day that will happen they'll post up pictures and instagram is a huge thing for that where you know you'll see everybody kind of like, oh my god i love your outfit i have the same shirt you know all these different kinds yeah. of things the, the only exactly. difference is at least this has been my take on it, is with there seems to still be that gap, that chasm between the regular person and the actor, actress, singer, what have you, in terms of that end of celebrity. There seems to be a very big divide. But in the paranormal world, we don't really see that divide. You know, Joe Ghost Hunter feels that he is just as important to this field as someone who has a television program or somebody who's been doing it for 40 or 50 years. So, you know, Joe Ghost Hunter, who goes out on Saturday nights, feels like he's contributing as much as J.B. Ryan and Jason Hawes and John Zaffis and Hans Holzer and anybody else that you want to name. And so they don't see that chasm in between. Uh, they don't see that divide. No, I think it's been eliminated by the idea of um, reality TV, which is a misnomer in and of itself, because mm -hmm. you'll find on a lot of these shows that um, certain times casting is is not so much reality as it is by design. You know, okay, we need a hot chick. 
right? We 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 need a goofy guy. Mm-hmm. We need somebody to stir up conflict. And they'll recruit these people under the guy. Well, this is reality TV, um, and it's just not quite the case. But I think people identify with this because the first reason they figure, well, I could do that too. And this is where the big push is. Oh my, you know, everyone is going to be on television, and we're going to get our own show. And again, we're talking about these unrealistic expectations. And this is part of this whole thing where people become so self-absorbed in this that um, it's almost on the to-do list when you start a group now. Um, Not get into a place, not get some background knowledge, not learn your craft. It's like, okay, I need to get get YouTube videos up there. Uh, I need to get on a radio. Uh, you do as much TV as possible, and one wonders, like, why did you do this in the first place? You know, uh, the idea of an interest in the paranormal kind of falls by the wayside, and it becomes more of a cult of personality than anything else. And that's because um, you don't really need a degree. You don't need seven years of dancing lessons and you don't need to fall on your face and wait tables until your big break comes like a lot of actors do and things like that. Basically, you need some T-shirts, business cards, jump right in, and you can be exactly what your icons are. And that's the way most people look at it. It is. It is. It's insane how easily it is for someone to position themselves. And I've seen it. I've seen people come on the scene. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that we're... You know, we haven't been in it as long as other people have, and we we don't pretend to be, but we're kind of the grandfathers these days of paranormal radio. You are. You certainly are. It pops up so much now that it's just it's it's spreading like wildfire, and you see people come on the scene who are suddenly headlining these conferences, and you're like, well, I would feel like I should kind of know who that person is if they're headlining a conference, especially if it's a conference, say, in my area. I should kind of have some sort of clue as to who this person yeah. is. We should have crossed paths. Right, exactly, exactly. I, I mean, um, you know, I had somebody get a hold of me about a year ago. They had started a group there around two months, and the first thing they did, we got to have a radio show. So I was invited on their radio show because they said, you know, this would be really good exposure for your group. <laughs> and I don't mind telling you, I was, like, really insulted by that. It's like... Um, you know, it wasn't one of those do-you-know-who-I-am deal because who the hell knows who I am. But, I mean, we've been around for like eight, nine years now, and uh, I'm good with the exposure. Thank you very much. But it's just that's the mindset. Right. It's the mindset. I'm sure those three people who are listening to this show will, you know, <laughs> three people listening to your show, I'd, I'd like to get, you know, our name out to them. Yeah, they, I've got a blog talk show, and the only people listening to my blog talk show are the other people in my group because I make them listen as being part of the group. It's part of, it's part of their uh, required dues as members. And mom. Yeah. Yep, yeah, of course, it's yeah. Like, it's like having a garage band, you know, when you play at a club, your girlfriend's there. You know, a couple of your buddies, things like that. But And I always say, you know. just because you can host an internet radio talk show doesn't mean that you should. No. You know, there's, there's that, a lot that. that goes into this. Now, one of the things that I've noticed, too, is uh, the idea that when people are coming on the scene 
as a new group and they're just starting to make their way, uh, there's a lot more of the stepping on toes than there used to be in the past. You know, when we first started the show, everybody kind of wanted to work together. And we always talked about how special New England was, that we were able right. to avoid all this drama. And we had a sense of community uh, and we had people working together. But it seems like there's a lot of people stepping on each other's toes. And I liken it to the fact that with a lot of these religions, they can't get along. If you don't follow their dogma and their theology, hook, line, and sinker, then you know they, they do not want to associate with you, and they will actually rail against you. And that seems to be happening with groups around here. Well, again, um, very similar to what we talked about before. I mean, um, people break off, form their own things. They become very territorial, very proprietal of their things as they try to spread the word. Um, and there's a lot of resistance. People sometimes are so entrenched in what they believe in and so territorial that um, conflicts, you know, inevitably are going to spring up. And in this day and age, a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, it's not ancient texts or anything like that because no one knew what anybody was doing. In this day and age, we watch wars on television as they unfold live. And we live in an era of social media. If Ken DaCosta and Tim Weisberg or Ken DaCosta and Matt Monis have a squabble, you know, uh, back in the day it was like, hey, you know, Ken and Tim, you know, they really don't get along, you know. But now I can go and share my thoughts on Tim Weisberg with 1,700 people on Facebook, and you can do the same, and everybody can pick sides. And I think social media is a big part of why we have such a conflict today, because everybody can take it to the masses now, you know, where it's like, you know, okay, we'll work it out, or we just agree to disagree, or we're just not talking to each other, and that's the end of it. You know, now we can rally our followers. It's for you know, dissemination. kind of recruit them into our own belief systems. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, not to overstate it or anything like that, but it's very true. It's very true. Everybody kind of falls in line and picks sides for this big paranormal dodgeball game that we have. Mm -hmm. And um, this is what happened. Conflicts arise because, again, belief systems are an incredibly powerful thing, whether it is an organized religion, whether it is the paranormal, because we're not dealing in absolutes. We're dealing essentially in opinions. You know, and this is why it drives me crazy when people say, it's just like religion, Tim, you know, when people say, God thinks this, or God right. wants this. I'm not sure how you know God, what God's thinking or what he wants, but we also have people telling us the same thing about spirits. You know, well, the, the spirits don't want this, or the spirits are thinking that. Well, this is why the spirits are behaving in this manner, or they're not behaving in this manner. And I just like, how the hell do you know what these spirits are thinking? How do you know what God is thinking? And that is the inherent power of a belief system. And and they bastardize that, and they they twist that around to kind of fulfill their own. Uh, agenda and their own belief. Uh, and you know what? We, we've been talking about this topic, uh, you and I, for the last couple of weeks, getting ready for this program. And I was thinking about it today. I was watching, I don't know if you're familiar with the program Justified, but I was watching this week's episode of it on, on DVR earlier this, this evening. 
And there was a funny moment where one of the, you know, the hillbilly criminals is trying to kill one of the other hillbilly criminals, and he's lost in the woods. And he basically looks up and he says, God, if you just help me kill this guy, I will go to church every Sunday and I will do whatever you want me to do. You know, and it's it's a bastardization of that belief. In God. You know, it's like, God, help me out. Help me commit this sin, and I'll do what you want. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that with the paranormal, too. It's like, you know, spirits, you know, come and interact with me and, and make your presence known, and then I'm going to just twist that around to however I want to present it to people. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things there, are, like we talked a lot about the correlations between religion and paranormal, um, one of the differences is that the paranormal, unlike religion, lacks something of a moral code. Right. You know, oh, yeah. there, there's, there's not quite as much ritualism involved, um, although I've seen it in, in, certain, in certain things, but, you know, it does, it, there is a difference as far as that goes. It, there doesn't seem to be that moral turpitude, that moral barometer that's involved in the paranormal, and that's, that's one of the differences. Well, there, there definitely seems to be. And by the way, I've never seen Moniz's eyes get as wide as they did uh, when you said that, as he nodded his head in agreement. But uh, there, there seems to have been an entire, uh, you know, there's a language that has developed as a result of it, almost a dogma that has resulted of it. You know, all of a sudden the word reveal becomes a noun. And we see this happening. People are using the same terminology uh, from from group to group, and it's you can only look at where this all comes from, and it's all coming from everybody's desire to be part of the flock. Everybody's desire to, as much as everybody claims that they want to be individualistic, you're watching the development of dogma. Well, yeah, it's it's becoming almost a, less of a religion and more like a cult. Well, if you go back again, we'll t- touch on the spiritualist movement. Let's go back in time to understand where we are now. Anybody who's ever used a digital recorder, a K2 meter, uh, a pendulum, anybody who's ever asked for a series of knocks or bangs is absolutely mirroring something that happened 150 years ago. We didn't invent this. It didn't start in 2004 when ghost hunters came on TV. Um, and just like today, back in those times, um, people were accused of fraud. People were trying to hoodwink other people. So much so that in Great Britain, they had something that they invoked called the Fraudulent Mediums Act. It was so out of hand, you know, and it's very much like our evangelists today, you know. People are looking for some kind of clarity in their lives, and they become dependent on palm readers and psychics, and with that comes some very nefarious acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see it uh, very much with, again, you know, evangelists on TV, you know, and God wants you to send me $200. And, you know, of course, you know, whatever God wants, I'm going to send you the $200 and you know, it opens the door for um, some very, very crooked people as well. Um, this is not anything new. It really isn't. It's been around for a long, long time. 
Well, if there's ever a way that it's easy to take advantage of people, it's when you have them so blindly believing in something. You know, when when they have those blinders on, it's so much easier to uh, to scheme and to steal from them than it would be. You know, if they were, I don't want to say of sound mind, but you know, if they if they were able to remove themselves from the situation and look at it objectively, but instead they get so wrapped up that it's almost like anything can happen. And I talk about this all the time with our, our psychic and spirit medium friends. You know, especially Stephanie Burke and, and, and Tiffany Rice. We've discussed it here in the program where you have to be careful because there's a point where it becomes almost like just as someone would go to confession, they might want to start going to their medium so that they can say, well, you know, what is – instead of saying, you know, what does God think of what I did this week, it becomes what does Grandma think of what I did this week? Mm-hmm. It is incredibly easy to prey on people's belief systems because people want and need to believe um, we are a worshiping type of society. Um, you see what happens in the Catholic Church um, with um, sexual scandals and things like that, where people are taking advantage of, of children um, because of that faith, that blind faith that people have. And uh, we see it very much in this field as well. We see it on an everyday basis. People are being built out of money. People are getting doors open to them that probably should stay closed because, again, they prey on people's belief systems. Um, you see that a lot. We see it a lot. You know, when we'll go out and uh, do an assessment and maybe not tell somebody what they want to hear, and they get angry. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you try to tell them, well, you know, I mean, you lived here 40 years, we've been here six hours, it's a very small window, but this is what we came up with. Eventually, they will find someone who will tell them what they want to hear. And my, my favorite is when they accuse you or a group like yourselves of, of trying to pull one over on them and scam them. It's like, but what were we getting out of this? We were giving you a service. We were giving you help. You know that we weren't charging you for, but uh, you know you be, you become the enemy because it wasn't what they believed or wanted to believe. And again, you will have eventually they will find someone who will come in that shares that same belief system, and they'll come in and say, "Yes, you have a demon in your home." And believe it or not, they're almost relieved. <laughs> yeah, they're almost happy to hear that because somebody has come along and. You know, with that similar, you know, belief system in what they have, and I think that, uh, you know, the next show will be on science versus religion. You know, <laughs> that's that's a that's a whole nother can of worms there. But um, yeah, we've tried you know, that we, one. <laughs> that debate's been going on a couple hundred years. Yeah, last time we we talked about that, it kicked off another hundred year war. But there. One of the issues, too, that is so prevalent in the paranormal these days, and, and I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to hear your take on it as how it relates into this idea of the religion is you see the, the, the blind, we, we talk about the blind faith in the idea of the paranormal, but there seems to be, uh, such a, it just has grown. We, we've talked about it for years, but it's been so prevalent over the last six months to a year of how much people are going out and defending uh, one another over things. You know, the, the idea of we can't have this drama. The idea of discourse has been relabeled as drama. And the idea of intelligent debate has been relabeled as bullying. 
And it seems like now everybody is so wrapped up in this let's all get along concept uh, that uh, you, you can't criticize something. You can't point out when somebody is mistaken in a photograph or when somebody uh, you know doesn't properly tag a, an example of EVP and you can kind of tell, well, that's you know this sound. Uh, anytime you question anybody's evidence or experience, you are, are prone to getting attacked. And uh, I'm sure there's some very good religious connotations to that as well. Well, I'll tell you what, um, Matt can speak to this much more uh, you know, um, expertly and, and, and coherently than I can. But... Well, I don't know about coherently, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it, 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 the hypocrisy of it is, is that, you know, and this, is, this, is, this was taken directly from the Ghost Hunter series. You know, they were the first ones on TV to say, we are proving scientifically, even though that's leave some room for question there. You know, owning a gizmo doesn't make you a scientist. But now everybody jumps on the scientific thing. Well, part of the scientific process, hypothesis, theory, testing, everything, is peer review. Correct. So that's the hypocrisy of it. Um, now, I will be the first to say some people just don't know how to talk to other people. You know, they oh, yeah. can't make a, you know, um, a cogent, criticism they can't make it constructive immediately they're dismissed as idiots you know that's dust that you're taking and, and all the rest of this and you know um but there's a way to go about it. i think there is a, a right way to go about it but again because people want to believe so bad they don't want to hear another point of view that happens you know, they, in science they just don't want to hear that which is why i'm not a paranormal unity guy i have never been i mean i get the intent of it but really, I don't feel the need to wrap myself in a banner or a movement to just treat people with decency and respect, as long as, you know, I hope I get the same in return, and then we'll be fine. But I think the paranormal unity movement is becomes more of a haven. It's almost like the paranormal protection program, you know. As long as you hang around with similar, like-minded people who never criticize anything, then you can float anything you want out there without fear of any kind of retribution. And I don't think that's productive at all. Yeah, it's become the shelter of those who were bullied, those who were picked on. Well, I was going to say in science, when people, you know, send out stuff in peer review, they're far worse than what you see in the paranormal, quote-unquote, peer review. I'll give you a good example paleontology. The, there are plenty of theories about dinosaurs and what they looked like and things like that and what they evolved into and where where their evolution stopped. You've got some groups that are ardent, and I mean dug their heels in that dinosaurs were this and only this, and you've got other groups that say, no, our evidence shows that it's this. None of us really know because we weren't back there 65 million years ago. Mm -hmm. Same thing with doing ghost research. I wasn't there when you caught that evidence. This is what you're presenting me. This is what I see. It happens, like I said, in science all the time. The only difference is here in the paranormal field, it's less organized, if that makes any sense. Whereas in It's also, and I, I don't mean this to be an insult to anybody, it's less educated, too. Well, trust me, there are some scientists, even though they have, you know, PhDs and postdocs that are not 
all that educated if you catch my drift. But most of the time, if you're conducting scientific peer review, you've got some background and experience in it, whereas paranormal peer review is coming from the guy who just became a paranormal investigator that right. day. Right. I mean, in generally in peer review in science, it's people that have been in the field for a certain amount of time. Uh, in other words, they're able to have the uh, the chair, so to speak, because they've been in that for so many years. And you're right, here in Paranormal, you know, three weeks ago, this person was a gas gas station attendant and now they're the leader of a group and or even even more so a lot of a lot of them are just armchair you know paranormal investigators people who've never actually been out in the field and experienced anything but still feel that they're qualified to comment because they've read some books and watched some tv i was going to say in science we call them academics <laughs> yeah i mean the way the way i feel about it guys is i look at paranormal research more from an anthropological Point of view, the, the more of the participant, uh, excuse me, the participant observer approach, because mm-hmm. anthropologists will tell you that the world is their laboratory. We don't work in sterile conditions. We don't work in a laboratory setting where if you take the same data under similar circumstances, anybody should be able to replicate it. Unfortunately, we deal with human beings. Human beings are flawed creatures. We display emotion. We misidentify things. We have all these drawbacks. Um, We don't work in a controlled environment. So I think that a lot of times when we like, you know, people like to love to throw that word science around, but I think that there are way too many variables and intangible things to be able to say, well, this is a science. This is a scientific approach. Now, if you're saying you take a systematic approach toward a conclusion, I think to me personally that makes more sense. That is actually the scientific principle, is a systematic planned out approach in how you how you investigate it. Uh, mm-hmm. Consistency. In other words, you, you set up a protocol, SOP. It's a matter of you doing this, and this is how I find that the paranormal actually can be a very good science because a lot of the stuff is repeatable. If we do these same things, you know, say I'll take EVP as a, a good example. You you have your recorder. You ask a set of questions. You You listen to your playback, and you get response. I can do it. You can send somebody else in with another recorder asking the same questions. They get a response. It's repeatable. Now, we can inter- we're interpret it in our own ways and what, what the thing is saying and what it means. And the responses may be but different. The, yeah, but the point is you, you followed the process and you got the data and you got the results. That is the scientific approach. Now, like I said, it's kicking up to the next level. What does it mean? That's where we're running into the problem of it going from science to supposition. And there really is no way to put a scientific approach to the forest for the trees because you're dealing with something that is not within the realm of science to understand. Well, it will be understood as long as we can get a cohesive effort. In science, you know, in chemistry, we deal with, you know, processes that we know and follow all the time. Everybody else has a a quote-unquote standard. There is no standard in the paranormal research. Everybody's going every which direction, and there's no organization to it. That's the problem. 
And I, do, I don't know, Ken, if you want to start opening up that can of worms of trying to get everybody to have a standardization because then everybody's going to feel like their way Ray should be the standard exactly. way. I, I think it's probably next to impossible to do. Um, I don't know who the governing body is. I don't know how you legislate something like that. That's it. There I don't is know no governing how, body. That's the problem. Yeah, I don't know how it's enforced. I mean, for one thing, it, it eventually leads back to the courts. If there's some kind of misconduct, is, is there a penalty for it? Because as long as the courts uh, don't recognize the paranormal as an actionable uh, entity, then I'm really not sure how you enforce something like that. There's only one way, if there was ever going to be a governing body, and I, I realize that this is blasphemy, you know, to keep the religious overtones here, but it's blasphemy to suggest this to people who have been in the field for a long time. But the only way you can get a governing body that people in the field, a large percentage, would listen to would be if it was the reality TV stars. If it was Jason Hawes and Zach Bagans and, you know, George Norrie, and John Zaffa sitting at the top of this panel, then, yeah, you might get people to kind of adopt what they're saying. But then you would have the people who've been doing it long before them and who have different approaches than them and different beliefs than them who would rail against it. But at least then you could get uh, all these newcomers into the field. As long as you started at some point. Right. Yeah. So not to put any more work on them, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can control how people approach these things and sort of like with their methodology, but I think it's more, <clears throat> it's more of a, a moral discussion. But I gotta be honest with you, I think there is also culpability on the part of the people who open their doors to these people because there is so, we talked about social media, there is so much information out there. You know, everybody's got a Facebook page, everybody's got a website. If you, you know, people will go out and get 17 estimates to replace the roof on their house. But when it comes to telling a total stranger something that they won't share with anybody else, they'll grab the first people that come down the pipe mm-hmm. and then end up in a disastrous situation with someone with, you know, no experience, no people skills, no real idea of what they're doing. So. Um, I don't want to call them consumers because they're not really, you know, shouldn't be paying for the services, but for lack of a better word, um, you know, the buyer has to be where to. Um, and if people were a little bit more discerning and discriminating as far as who they let in and they got references and or asked for references, like, where have you been? Um, uh, is there someone I can call? Then I think a lot of this may sort of work itself out i've said it for years you know uh, it works well with angie's list we need an angie's list for the paranormal we need uh we need but then again you know the problem is you'll have people who are going to go on there and slam other groups just like you know you have one plumber going on angie's list to slam another plumber it happens and yeah. uh, but, but maybe that's one way to approach it i know this might be a loaded question we only have a few minutes left here in the program but uh one of the questions that popped up on facebook when i po- posted this up earlier was uh, our buddy greg newkirk from who forwarded uh, mentioned the idea of you know, just as much as the religion, uh, the paranormal could be saddled up with religions, so could skepticism as well. I'm sorry, I just you guys are you, you were breaking up a little bit, sorry. Tim. I uh, didn't get the last part of that. The, the question is whether or not skepticism could be viewed as a religion as well. Um, 
You know, she's wow. talking skepticism. I, I, I don't even know how to address that skepticism. Um, you know, if you look at the the you know the Ben Radford, you know, if you're looking at people like that, are, are they going to be the people who uh, are are viewed as being just as ardent and and just as um, stubborn in their beliefs as those who firmly believe in the paranormal? The only, I'll tell you what, I I really couldn't say. Um, I think that might be a bit of a stretch in terms of how they approach things, but. The only thing I'll tell you, the one thing I've always strived to do with the organization we have is to never go into any location as a skeptic or a believer. I know that's very chic to say we go into skeptics and, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle and the show Sherlock Holmes deal and Occam's Razor and whatever you want to apply to it. But I think if you go in as a firm skeptic, or as a hardened believer, whichever, whatever your results are, are going to reflect a bias mm-hmm. on that part. Because I think skeptics are just as liable to um, invalidate themselves by coming up with, you know, wild theories to try to debunk or to, you know, provide an alternate explanation as the believer that you can't tell, you know, you, you can't be rational with. Uh, they yeah, weather heard, balloon it, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of Ben Radford stuff, Matt, and, you know, and I mean, I respect the guy from where he comes from and his background, but some of the things he comes up with are just kind of like, they're a reach, too. Right. They're more to, unbelievable you know, than the subject he's trying to talk exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah. You know, to promote that particular point of view, it's just as ludicrous as, you know, some of the things that you hear that people are trying to pass off as, as supernatural. Ken, we want to thank you for joining us tonight and, and discussing this topic with us. Uh, and it's something that I'm sure we'll keep discussing off the air uh, for quite a while. And hopefully you can come back as we get closer to the Ocean State Paracon and let everybody know about the happenings with that. Absolutely. I look forward to it. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'd love to come back anytime, guys. All right. The door is always open. That is Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal. Check out his website, riseupparanormal.com, to find out more about him, his team, some of the different events that they hold, and, of course, the Ocean State Paracon. That does it for this week's show. Coming up next week... We'll be joined by the women of Paranormal Expeditions to talk about some of their new ventures, uh, including a new web show that they have, and uh, kind of the turn that their investigations have taken. And and I'm th- they're coming on March, not February. That's <laughs> so uh, we'll. <laughs> you think that I would use that calendar that we built online to book all the guests? All right. Well, we will be back next week to talk more about the paranormal with you. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that is...